Welcome back to Game Investing Radio. Tonight we're going to do something a little bit different because I just uh, connected with another whale that's circling the wagons out there in multi-millionaire land. And this podcast is dedicated to a diehard vintage sports cards collector where we're going to compare, I think, two things that make sense because at the end of the day, nostalgia is really what drives this market. This might change in the future, but we're talking about June 27th, 2021, where up until this uh, incredible heritage Pawn Stars um, Wada bull run that exploded in the pandemic, it's pretty much been powered by nostalgia. Um, Super Mario Brothers 3 is a great example of that. That was really the first game to go off publicly for six figures at 156 last year. And that's really the game that, you know, most of the people grew up playing. That's the one they remember. That's the one that gives them, you know, that warm, fuzzy feeling inside when they see that box and, and, um, maybe hear those sounds like me. I'm more of an audio guy, but, uh, I think it's appropriate if you're coming from sports cards and if you if you're not coming from sports cards you might not be able to get as much out of this episode as those that have come over from basketball um I think it's really hard to compare collectibles from different arenas and we've been trying to do that in video games uh, me and another investor have been going on and on and on about what is SMB1 in sports cards? Is it the Honus Wagner, which is an antique card that was in tobacco packs, very rare, very old. It's not a nostalgic factor there. That's something that basically is, is one of the holy grails in sports cards. But I don't think that's a good comparison because we may end up in 100 years looking back at things like you know, the Magnavox first print or the Fairchild, the guy that uh, the African-American uh, coder in Silicon Valley that developed the cartridge-based console system or stuff like Space War um, or possibly boards that came out of Silicon Valley, like the breakout board that Steve Jobs worked on. You know, those might be more comparable, to, from my opinion, to something like a Honus Wagner, which is really based on historical value and not nostalgic because nobody grew up uh, smoking tobacco and collecting those cards because you would have to be 120 or 30 or 150 years old. So what's the next one after that that we could try to compare it to? You know, I've heard people say, well, SMB1 is like the Honus Wagner Mickey Mantle all-in-one. Mickey Mantle, the 1952 tops. Um, the old man that bought the PSA 10, which is the equivalent of a, you know, a Wada 9.8. The holy grail of baseball cards, modern baseball cards, home run hitters. You know, we're talking about baseball on the TV, on the radio, not Honus Wagner, where it's probably either radio only or maybe in print news. I'm not really sure. But Mickey Mantle's 52 Tops rookie card, which actually isn't the first print. I do believe he has a 51 Bowman, but it's the standard rookie card. It's kind of like the 9.8 Black Box Mario. What do you go after? Well, you're not going to get a matte sticker. You're not going to get a gloss. You're not going to find a third print. You're probably not going to find a fourth print. You might not even find a fifth print. 
So you're either going to have to go for a eighth or ninth print if you want a 9.8 or try to buy out the one on rally. Those are your two choices. There are no choices. So is the SMB1 a Mickey Mantle? Not today. Not today. Because all the people that are pumping money or pumped money into the bubble, the sports card bubble that peaked out in February of 2021, they didn't grow up watching Mickey Mantle on TV. Maybe their dad's dad or their mom's mom or their grandfather or grandfather or grandmother or uncle or great uncle. I don't know. He was a rookie in the 50s. So I might have had a chance at watching some highlights probably in the 70s, but I'm pretty old in video gaming. I mean, I don't come across a lot of 50 year olds, 50 and ups in uh, video gaming. My definition of gaming is completely different. My definition of, you know, quote unquote gaming or nostalgia is all about the arcade. You know, I, I played uh, Pong live when it dropped in the cafe. I played Space Invaders live when it dropped. We drove miles and miles and miles to hunt down the only asteroids within a 50 mile radius when it dropped. Those are nostalgic moments for me, you know, chasing down a, a cabinet in a obscure little restaurant down a country road and and that's a lot different than growing up with a Nintendo with games under the Christmas tree so right now I'm talking about nostalgia and I think the most nostalgic sports card for this let's say 35 to 50 couple generations we'll call them maybe older Millennials and younger Gen Xers I would say in America and once again game investing radio is all about the American market and the American print runs. So I'm talking about black boxes that started in New York, went to Los Angeles, then Chicago, then nationwide. Um, I really think it's Jumpman Jordan. And here's why. Here's why I think this is the best comparison. Number one, they're both called Jumpman. Mario is Jumpman. He jumps. That's how he made his debut in Donkey Kong. Da -da 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 Something like that. Anyway, he jumped over barrels. And that sound for me is just completely nostalgic. I personally would rather collect Donkey Kong over Mario, but I'm a dealer and I'm heavy into Mario. So they both have the same nickname. Jordan obviously is the one basketball player that has that magical it factor. Um, it factor is used in the music industry where you listen to a singer or a performer or an artist and you know within 10 seconds that this artist has it it's a magical factor it's not something that's necessarily related to dna it's uh it's a combination of all kinds of things you know whitney houston is one of those singers that had it um michael jackson had it as a dancer um michael jordan had it as a uh as a basketball player floating through the air like an artist, you know, he he's someone that you could look at as an artist, not just as an athlete. And I think Kobe Bryant has a little bit of that, but uh, we haven't had a mega artist like Jordan since Jordan that I know of. Maybe Dr. J before Jordan in the 70s. But here's the deal with the Jumpmans. The funny thing is, this also backs up the argument, they both have stickers and they're both from the same generation. So 
basically Jordan's rookie card technically came out in around 83 from an obscure company called Star, which really doesn't matter. And I would I would say that the equivalent of that in Mario would be something like the ColecoVision Donkey Kong. You know, the 83 Star and the ColecoVision Donkey Kong would probably be like what you would call the debut or the extended rookie card or the first appearance or the first in franchise, first game. Stuff like that. Not the first print or the first standard game. If you look on the cover art, I use the two standard issues, which is the 86 Fleer um, Michael Jordan versus the 85 Black Box. Well, it's actually not 85, but I had to use the 9.8 because, uh, yeah, full disclosure, I'm I'm in the process of brokering that deal. and And again, this is a podcast dedicated to the potential buyer, but that print run started in 85. So they're one year off. They're both named Jumpman. They both made their, let's say, nationwide debut standard release in 85, 86. And they both have stickers, which is just really interesting. So on the sports card side, you have stickers that were meant to be peeled, just like games were meant to be played. I just got confirmation from one up on Facebook that there are very, very few of the first print runs in terms of Black Box Mario. Now, on the Jordan, we can just say there's one print run per year. And um, it's just it's just uh, basically the standard issue. It's actually called the RC asterisk. The asterisk basically means there were print runs that came before, but it's the standard rookie card as opposed to an XRC, which be which would be an extended rookie card, which is usually referring to an earlier set as opposed to a widely released thing you could open up in a wax pack box or case. I hope this isn't too complicated. It really doesn't matter. All that matters is that Jordan and Mario came out at the same time as far as a nationwide standard release. So let's say that's something like fourth print for SMB1, and for Jordan, it's that beautiful picture of him dunking the ball, probably at the uh, All-Star game or during a game where he flies in to the basket and he floats through the air and does things that we haven't seen since do- since Dr. J. He's an artist. Um, and speaking of art, the SMB1s have that 8-bit classic retro nostalgic awesome artwork that went away from the Atari overblown underdelivered type box arts that may rise you know someday in a hundred years but for now nintendo hit hard with you know implementation delivery giving you something with a seal of quality that you could count on when you pop it into your nintendo console that you could play for hours and hours and hours and not get bored or complain about the graphics on the flip side, the cards are beautiful for Michael Jordan. You should look them up. They're red, white, and blue. I mean, what better colors could there be? The borders are beautiful. They're very tough to find and centered. 50-50, we call that 50% on all sides as far as centering goes, which, by the way, is being checked over at WADA. They are checking centering. To get a 9-8, you do need to have your artwork centered. Shout out to Rob in Vegas, who runs Red Hood Comics, who used to work in the WADA grading room and actually got them from a little hobby business to a serious player in the grading industry. And he told me that you could actually, this is a little secret, but you could actually take your games if you find that the artwork is off center. In other words, top to bottom, 
side to side is going to be a different issue. But if you see an artwork that's skewed upward or downward, you can turn it over on the opposite side and do a very firm, you know, knock on on maybe a wooden desk or something hard, but not too hard, maybe not glass, to where you might be able to move that artwork a little bit and bump yourself from a 9.6 to a 9.8. Rob said they were kind enough to even do this in the grading room for people without them even knowing. So yes, there is a difference between 9.6, 9.8 on artwork, and that's centering top to bottom. So you want the same gap top and bottom. That doesn't really apply to boxes, but that's that's going to be for disc stuff, you know, PS2, maybe GameCube type stuff. So speaking of black boxes, um, what kind of pop report are we talking about? Because that's what this is all about. Quote unquote, one up on Facebook. The interesting thing about Mario 1, she's calling it Mario 1. Some people call it SMB1. Some people call it Black Box Mario. There's uh, 11 print runs, 11 to 13 print runs of black boxes. And Mario 1 is SMB1, Super Mario Brothers number one. And she says there are zero matte sticker seals. So that's first print zero. I heard there's a rumor that there might be one. We haven't seen any confirmation in the hobby. So I, I keep telling people there's zero or one first print. I just uh, emailed the guy at uh, Baseball Card Exchange who certifies wax boxes and cases for the sports card hobby. He's the founder and CEO of that outfit. And... Um, he can go through a wax box and tell you if it's ever been searched or handled or basically he can certify things that are fresh from factory, kind of like a WADA doing an A++ ceiling case fresh designation. So I just sent him an email. I wish I could have gotten an answer for this podcast, but I asked him, you know, how many cases were produced of Michael Jordan's rookie and, um, you know, how many copies are out there? We know that there's somewhere between, let's say, I don't know, 30, 40, let's say 40 to 100,000 to a million copies is the rough estimate. But let's look at SMB1, zero, Matt Sticker, first print. Two, and she's talking sealed, not mint sealed, but sealed. Two, second print, gloss sticker known. Zero, third print, which confirms my hunch that the nationwide release without the shrink wrap with the hang tabs is really the rarest version because that would be the one that everyone tore open the earlier copies there is a chance someone stuck it somewhere and forgot about it because mario hadn't gone mainstream yet so once again zero first print maybe one two second print zero third print and two fourth prints period so you've got what five copies that are sealed for the first four print runs of a 40 million print run, total 11 print run thing. Um, it's just mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. If, if if another millionaire comes in and this uh, another millionaire comes in and every multi-millionaire wants a high-sealed black box Mario, there's two 9.8s. According to 1UP, there's two VGA 90s, so there's four copies. One of them's at Rally. You've got three copies, one on the open market right now, two locked away in collections. Myself and I and another investor have the only 9.8 in the world up for public availability. You've got one copy that's considered a gem for everybody. For all the whales, all the sharks, all the dealers, all the investors, all the collectors, all the old guard, everybody. You only have 
count them on one hand. What about Jordan? Well, let's go with the top grader in the world. PSA, Professional Sports Authenticator, the company that got bought out for three quarters of a billion dollars. And, um, you know, there's a true diehard collector running it now. This is the most iconic basketball card in the world. Gary V just dropped on a YouTube a week ago that the upcoming national convention. What is he going to be buying at the show? Because it peaked out at $750,000 and it's dropped down to $200,000. Michael Jordan PSA 10 gems. That would be like going to a show and trying to buy 9.8 black box Mario's. You can't. You can't. You probably can buy some Michael Jordans, and here's why. In sports cards, you can buy what you want. You cannot buy what you want in games. That is the big difference between comics, cards, coins, sports cards, Pokemon, especially Pokemon, and video games. You can't buy what you want. I see a lot of what I want, and it's too expensive to buy or it's not available. It doesn't exist. What about Michael Jordan? Let's say you want to buy Michael Jordan. Let's say you are Gary Vee. You're going to the National. You are a multimillionaire. You're on the you're on the way to becoming a billionaire. Your net worth is 700, 800 million. You can drop 10 million at a card show cash, you know, PayPal. It doesn't matter. Um, well, there's 20,000 that have been graded by PSA in terms of the rookie card, the standard rookie card, and 318 to choose from. There's 318. So there's 318 available. If you're a multimillionaire, maybe, you know, maybe there's a hundred millionaires that can jump into the hobby and get started with a Michael Jordan gem. On the stickers, there's only 120, but there was only 10K graded. So that's only 1.2%. So you're talking one, one to 4%. With Beckett grading, the number two grading in sports cards, you've got 526 gems to choose from with 32 stickers. So you've got 550 over at SGC, you got another 70, add up 100, 500, 600, you know, eight. You got over a thousand to choose from in gem mint condition, including stickers for Michael Jordan rookie cards, the most iconic modern to vintage to retro sports card in the world. Think about that. There's a thousand, right? There's a thousand to choose from. Well, what about black boxes, including stickers and everything? Let's throw, let's throw in five. Let's throw in five graded copies and five who knows what copies. Let's say there's 10 gems out there across the board. Well, here's the crazy part on video games. Games were meant to be played and there's 40 million printed. 40 million. I would be surprised if Steve comes back from Baseball Card Exchange and tells me there was a million. I think there's three to four Jordans per box. There's 20 per case. So that's, let's say, 100 per case max. Was there 100,000 cases of that Jordan wax produced? By the way, one of those cases went off for 1.8 million last year in the pandemic. So did they produce, did FLIR produce 100 million, you know, 100,000 cases when they were dabbling back into sports cards after a multi-decade hiatus? I don't think so. I think Mario is 100 to 1,000 to 10,000 to 100,000 times scarcer and rarer rarer on the overall production side in terms of sealed 100 black boxes versus the 40 million which is something i can't even calculate type that into your calculator type in 100 divided by 40 million 
there you've got your overall population and people want pop reports. Well, how are you going to do a pop report? You got a raw pop report. You got a CIB pop report. You got a manual only pop report. You got a cart pop report. You got a Frankenstein pop report. You got an imp pop report. You got a non-matched pop report. Let's say you've got 20 variations of the cartridge manual and box for Zelda. That's 8,000 different variations of a freaking pop report. You can't have a pop report. Then you've got 13 print runs for each pop report, so you have to multiply that by 13. You've got 10,000 data points for one game. How do you pop report that? You're going to have to generalize and do stuff like, okay, there's uh, 298 black boxes on the planet. There's 396 black boxes on the planet. There's two VAGA 90 black boxes on the planet. You have to throw out the window print run, mat sticker, hang tab, round seal, you know, TM, copyright. You got to throw all that stuff out the window because the pop reports will take pages and pages and pages and pages. Whereas if you're talking about a Michael Jordan rookie card, you just simply pull up a website. You have a one line. You just have one line. You have nine grades, maybe more if you're doing half grades. But if you're looking at PSA, you just got a couple you're looking at. You're looking at three data points, the tens, the nines, and maybe the eights. And then the overall, you know, how many how many have been sent in as of that date. But if you're talking about 40 million raw copies versus all seven grading companies now, or let's say 12 grading companies, if you include flats, stuff like artwork that's going to get graded, manuals that are going to get graded, uh, trading cards that are going to get graded, Mario silver and gold and bronze coins that are going to get graded. There could be paraphernalia getting graded. Who knows? There could be signage getting graded. There could be, uh, you know, uh, action figures for a lot of these uh, these uh, characters getting graded. If you include AFA, CGC, I mean, we're talking dozens of grading companies and you want a pop report? Which pop report? That's my first question. Which pop report? Well, in video games, it doesn't even matter because if you're a multimillionaire and you're going for the Holy Grail, the Mario, not maybe not the stadium events or NWC, but the Holy Grail of sealed games, you're going to go for SMB1, and there's one copy on the planet right now available. Full disclosure, in my eBay store, we listed it at a million. Um, I think the owner would consider 850 or higher. The, other, the only other 98 hit um, seven hundred fifty thousand on Rally the other day, but that's a fractional share company. You would have a very hard time acquiring that piece unless you did a very large bank wire into Rally and bought up various share prices across the board and got to the point where you controlled over fifty one percent of the position and then voted to sell it out to yourself, which I don't even know if that's possible. Um, but we did try to make, uh, the dentist in Florida did try to make a run at that Mario at around the $600,000 range. I was trying to actually buy it up at three, 400, but I didn't have any money. I was absolutely right about that piece, but you know how, you know how it goes. It takes money to make money. Water. It's 109 degrees today. And, uh, oh man. What a hot day in many, 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 many ways. So I think the final nail in the coffin of comparing Jordan to Mario is, is really the nostalgia piece. And, you know, the pop report is mind-blowing. But the cool, the, cool, the cool thing about Mario and Jordan is 
I had a card shop back in the day, and, and once the Dream Team got assembled with Bird and Ewing and Jordan and Stockton and Malone and these just amazing basketball players went to Barcelona and showed the whole world what basketball was like. You know, it was kind of like Mario taking gaming globally. I mean, it was something fun that everybody could enjoy, and it didn't come down to language or culture. And I think that's why Jordan and Mario make sense, is because culturally, globally, they are universally understood. Whereas if you're trying to explain space war to somebody or that gaming was born in like a mainframe computer at MIT and then the guy brought the copy to Silicon Valley and tinkered there and he's still showing off that uh, museum, the artificial intelligence lab at Stanford where, the, where they played space war. It's very hard to explain that because it's it's like a geeky language that's very American and it's 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 nerdy and you know it, some stuff gets lost in translation. Whereas arcade gaming or Mario, you know, it's easier to understand. And I think that's why comparing Jordan and Mario makes sense is because they're universally understood. They're universally accepted as global positive icons. And I think, uh, I think that's probably why same generation makes a lot of sense. I, I think I even think the Jordan valued at 750000 even though you could buy that card on a good day. You know, Q2 2021 for maybe 2250. I think that's a bargain. I mean, with with LeBron James and and that baseball player uh, down in Los Angeles, a Trout, and um, you know other other cards like Mickey Mantle going off for five or ten million dollars. Why isn't Jordan's rookie card up in the ten million dollar range? There's only one answer: population report. There's a thousand gems out there. Whereas on the other Trouts and LeBrons, one of ones, there's only one out there. And then, um, you know, the Mickey Mantle, maybe there's a handful. So what that tells me when I look at the Trout and LeBrons, which are not nearly on the same level as Jordan and Mario, the copies of the Holy Grail sealed black box Marios and maybe the others like the, the SMB3 Left Brothers if a 9.68 comes out of the woodwork. I really believe these pieces have the potential to get to $5 million. I mean, it's a no-brainer because of the pop report. But if we get to the situation where, you know, we're getting 10, 20, 30, 100 copies, like the Michael Jordan PSA 10 RC at 318 copies, once you get over that 100 mark up into the two, 300 range, then you're going to start dropping below a million dollars. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think someone would have shown that off Um over the last 12 months in the 2020 bubble and the 2021 bull run. I just don't think we're, we're going to see much else. I think this is what you get. What you see is what you get. And let me just close on this uh, message that came in from one up. She or he has been collecting for 20 years, focusing on the grails, the sealed high-end black boxes and VGA. She was collecting way before WADA. In the words of One Up, a little history on black boxes, even when the hobby was small, let's say 15 years ago, I still could not find all the black boxes. It took me 20 years to get 27 of the 30 and the three silver box games. By the way, the three silver boxes are considered part of the black box set because they appear on the same Nintendo poster, which is probably a good piece to pick up 
for those of you out there in the multimillionaire range that want to pick up paraphernalia, signage, uh, artwork, and posters, I think, have a lot of potential. So it took her, I think it's a her, might be a she or a he, 20 years to get 27 of the 30 black boxes. Quote, unquote, they just don't really exist. And she's right. They don't exist. If you want a 9.8 black box Mario, there's one available today. I cannot guarantee it's available tomorrow. I think that it's going to change hands very soon. Now that the big money is involved, quote, unquote, I'm not sure it can be done anymore. And she gives a little bit of a sad face. But what that means is... Another investor told me this, and this is the sad thing about game investing. When the big money comes into a collecting area, whether it's Beanie Babies, sports cards, whatever, the investors buy up what's available. And what tends to happen is that the collectors will sell out. Collectors have a breaking point, And when you're at the point where you can make 10x, 20x, 50x, why not sell out if you can provide for your family or future generations in your family or start a new business or buy a house why not sell out why can't it be a win-win why can't collectors sell out win and investors could win because they believe in a long-term bull run and they get the handoff sure the pieces are up 10x but maybe they believe there's another two three four 10x so i think there's room for everybody Maybe not on SMB1 high sealed. Maybe not on high sealed SMB3. Maybe not on um, Zelda TM or Tyson First Print. But there's all kinds of other games you can get into. I mean, you can buy a Stadium Events cartridge. It's up for auction. There's two of them at Signature. You can buy NWC. You can buy a lot of things that have, let's say, 100 total availability, quote-unquote, print run population. There's all kinds of juicy stuff out there. You can collect 9.8s of modern. You can... I'm really sorry about that. It looks like I got really excited and got cut off, so I was rambling on, and uh, I'm not really sure where the podcast ended. There's a 30-minute limit on each segment, so I'm not really sure where I was at, but I will say that I truly believe that there's room for gamers, collectors, dealers, and investors in this amazing dynamic global hobby. I feel like we haven't scratched the surface, and probably maybe the halftime is going to be when some of the old guard and the heavy-hitting collections get handed off to very serious collectors, multimillionaires that truly believe in the hobby in a long-term generational wealth type of sense. Um, and people that can appreciate video gaming as an art as opposed to a hobby. And I think that's kind of the difference between collecting and investing. I think collecting is all about nostalgia as as kind of a gamer that has grown up and you can grab these pieces off your mantle or shelf and feel good about your childhood because maybe there was tough times like myself growing up in poverty without health insurance, without a hot shower, you know, without food delivery, without internet, without TV, and all these things I grew up without. I didn't know that until I got to college. But, um, 
you know, maybe gaming is like one of those bright spots um, in your childhood. It was for me, it was, it was something that represented freedom because once I got a car, I was able to travel hundreds of miles for games, mostly arcades, and uh, have the best times of my life, you know, going to places like Pier 39 or Marriott's Great America, amusement parks, restaurants, cafes, pizza joints, skating rinks. And it was all about the arcade cabinets and gaming, you know, spending that change in my pocket. And those few minutes I had gaming, I would forget the world and I would forget, you know, all the troubles I was facing on the playground at school or getting picked on or, you know, being in poverty and all that other stuff. So I think that the halftime is going to be when nostalgia gets replaced with historical. And historical is all about respecting gaming as an art. And it's not just the gaming, the act of gaming. I think it starts from the first sketch or like the founder of Pac-Man when he takes out the crew to the pizza joint and, you know, the first person grabs a piece of pizza and bam, you've got Pac-Man staring back at him. And it's not even a sketch, it's, it's a pie. And that right there is art. The art came from food. It didn't come from you know, a mainframe geek programming an arcade cabinet in Silicon Valley. It came from a little pizza joint in Tokyo, of all places. Pac-Man came from food. And that right there is art. That's artistic. Everything about that is art. It's an event. It's a historical event that defines us as human beings. It's a whole nother level beyond nostalgia. And I truly believe that someday, 100 years in the future, or maybe 60 or when the Fairchild turns 100, I think the Fairchild is going to be kind of like the keel, the first cartridge. What is the first print Fairchild? I think that's really the one. When that hits 100, sure, you know, Space War on the uh, PDP-2 or whatever it is at MIT is a significant event, but that would be kind of like when the first baseball game was, you know, does does anyone really keep track of that in sports cards? I don't think so. We keep track of like the Honus Wagner, you know? So I think that's probably, it's either going to be something like Space War, Super Breakout, a Fairchild first print cartridge, maybe a Magnavox first print cartridge. Um, it could be the ColecoVision Donkey Kong, but I don't really think so. I think we've got to go beyond Mario to get to artistic. So, you know, it could be sketches. It could be sketches, it could be diagrams, it could be boards, it could be it could be technical stuff that I think is locked away in Silicon Valley somewhere. I think we have to preserve that history. I think Frank uh, is doing that at the Video Game Historical Foundation, but I think we got to go deeper. I think we got to figure out what came first. And I think that's where the big money actually respects what came before by you could say throwing money at it, but they're throwing money at it in confidence because they believe that this is a part of humanity. This is a historical piece of what defines us as humans and not robots or artificial intelligence. The difference is that we have culture, language, art. Those are the three biggies and gaming has that in spades. So don't get frustrated if you're a collector. You can be an investor and a collector. I'm going to start developing a personal collection. You can invest in the short, mid, and long term. You can also collect for nostalgia. You can do all of the above. I learned long time ago that and is better than but. It's better just to eliminate the word but. But the investors are coming in. But the millionaires. No. And 
they are coming in and the hobby is getting bigger and there's more money at play and that's going to bring better pieces to market and we're going to learn more about timelines and we're going to learn more about print runs and as we go global we're going to learn more about global variations and we're going to learn about the historical and the artwork and the development behind all these wonderful pieces of art so back to jordan and mario thank you Jumpman. thank you michael jordan thank you miyamoto um for developing mario Thank you, Popeye, Olive, Bruto. Thank you, Hollywood, for influencing Nintendo in the early days. Thank you, Dr. J, for giving Jordan something to look up to and emulate in terms of an artistic basketball uh, sports icon, which, which you might just say he's an artist on the court. And thank you, Mario, for giving us millions and billions and trillions of hours of enjoyment and fun in a world that... Uh, has become so divided. Maybe these icons like Jordan and Mario can bring us together and maybe we can all respect each other as gamers, collectors, and investors. Like Hopper always says, play life like a video game. Try. Try something new. Try to jump in and go for something big. Don't worry about making mistakes. You know how it goes. You're going to hit a couple road bumps, speed bumps, setbacks, failures. If you can keep pushing through failures and you don't ring the bell at the Navy SEAL um, boot camp and you push through pain, you can become a game investing master. You can also become a gaming master and you can become a collecting master. You can become any kind of master if you can push through pain. As David Goggins says, the only way to reach your true potential is through pain. Hopper out.